Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, yeah, my little intro has never been more apt uh, uh, because it has been a while since the last time we did one of these. Indeed. Um, uh, I'm glad we're doing this. I don't like the idea of me just watching movies to not talk about on the podcast. I know. What a waste. Um, although I do like, like, I often have rewatches that like, I intentionally don't talk about on the podcast because I'm like, this one's just for me, you know. Sure, <laughs> like sure. uh, Halloween time, I did rewatch. Um, uh, I put on your next while I was putting up Halloween decorations, uh, and I was like, you know what? This is just a fun Halloween thing. This is not going on the movie journal. So yeah, uh, <laughs> Jen and I, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. We do have a Halloween tradition, That's right? Uh, where every Halloween. Uh, night we watch uh, the American Scream, the documentary of that, and because it is a yearly thing, I don't feel any desire to incorporate it into the movie journal. Um, so mm-hmm. it does it does provide a certain degree of freedom um, uh, to to know that like this yeah. is just I'm watching this the way people used to watch movies. <laughs> And the way a lot of people still do, actually. What's up? <laughs> not a, it's, it may not seem like it, but not everyone actually has a podcast. Mm. All right. Uh, so we have a whole bunch of movies to go through, two months Indeed. worth of movies. Luckily, I mean, I talked about a lot of stuff um, for the AFI Fest wrap-up. There's a lot of stuff that I watched in preparation for the Ennio Morricone episode that I won't sure. uh, rehash because we already talked about those movies in many cases. So, um, And I've I've eliminated all rewatches from mine just in the interest of slimming things down. You've obviously had a little less time on your hands than I have. Yeah, so you might have some rewatches in yours. I do, yeah, and I do have some re. That's the thing is like there are some new ones and new ones for from this year, but then also there are times when Jen and I, like if we have an evening that that is available to us, uh, where it's like, you know, we haven't seen this in a while. I'm not super, I'm, I'm too tired to be in the mood for something new, but I also don't want something that we've seen a million times. So like, uh, so there's some stuff on here that we had that I haven't seen in like 10 years. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about it here, but yeah. And then also we watch a lot of TV. Yeah, oh, yeah, we watch hella TV. Um, but uh, so what, what, what hasn't changed in the last two months is my wife is still showing me movies that she loved when she was younger or can't believe that I haven't seen. So there's going to be some uh, some blind spots, mostly from the 80s, uh, that get filled sure. in here, including one that I, I, I myself uh, have shamefully had shamefully never seen before because I'm a big fan of this director and this is one of his best known and best loved works. Um, I finally watched 1988's Hairspray, the oh, okay. John Waters movie. Have you seen it? I have not. Well, it's uh, it's a ton of fun. It's uh, it's a it's a John Waters movie through and through. As much as it is, you know, he's you know obviously he was known for the. Pink Flamingos and Channel Trouble and Desperate Living and, and these sort of like shocking things. But then he made movies like uh, he made a movie like Hairspray, which is perfectly acceptable for, you know, uh, tweens to watch. Essentially, sure. it's a, it's family fair in a way, but it's also 100 percent a John Waters movie. Uh, in, D- Divine in this, is in it. Yes. Uh, like yes. Plays a, a character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Divine. Um, Divine plays uh 
Tracy Turnblad's mother. Uh, okay. That's that's Ricky Lake, Ricky Lake's okay. mother. Um, but the movie is a, uh, um, a you know pro uh, uh, what's I'm looking for anti segregationist anti-racist uh movie about uh where ricky lake plays a girl in the 60s who really wants to get on to um this uh dance show it's like an american bandstand but all the teenagers dance in the afternoon Uh, most people know the story but uh and then she what is the word for she wants to audition no what's the opposite of segregate she wants to integrate integrated yes. yes uh and so it turns into like a protest and a and a rally um and uh, a riot eventually um and it's got that just complete anarchic john waters fun um uh, at at every turn it's 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 very funny um it's also like a lot of john waters movies despite them being uh provocative there's also a sweetness to him you know um oh of course yeah there's a deep affection for his characters i think yeah and so you've got a lot of that too i, mean, I can't spend too much time in this movie because sure. everyone but me has seen it um here's a movie i won't spend any time on because you can read my review i didn't like it very much it's a documentary called Otto Lange and the cakes of versailles um about a uh and now it's been so it's been two months or more since i actually watched the thing um and i can't remember what museum it is but the a museum was doing a an exhibit on Versailles and hired uh, uh, a famous baker to sort of assemble like an ocean's 11 of uh, uh, cutting edge bakers from all across the <laughs> world really to come and make uh, specialized pastries that like sort of not necessarily like literal recreations of what they ate at Versailles because as the movie goes into in some detail, like uh, uh, we probably today's taste buds probably wouldn't find uh we'd find them very pretty but the pastries of the time probably weren't as tasty as the ones they make now so they did sort of their interpretation of of versailles in in pastries uh it's it's a um i didn't say this in my review or i should have named my review this uh it's a puff piece hey there we go all right uh and then finally you can go back and and rename it because five years down the line if that occurs to you then you have a responsibility to yourself and everyone else to rename that review uh and then finally i I finally watched uh a tyler favorite i was on a podcast called monkey off my backlog oh sure um uh in which you uh uh you know, cross something off your blind spot list or whatever. And for their, this was, uh, in, uh, this was for Halloween. I watched it in September. This is for a Halloween ep- episode in, in October. I finally, finally watched the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, All which right. I, had, I had never seen for uh, its 100th birthday. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's terrific. Um, uh, the first question, you know, it didn't even occur to me because it was a Halloween themed episode. The first question, because not all of the hosts of the show had seen of, of monkey up my backlog had seen it. And so the first thing someone asked me was, is it scary? And I was like, Oh no, I forgot to even think that it might be, no, yeah. it's not a scary movie. Um, right. uh, uh, I, I guess it, it has a sense of, uh, 
dread uh, sure. uh, that sort of that sort of hangs over it. But there's, um, there's a creepiness to it. Eerie is is how I eerie. described it. Yeah, it's yeah. eerie. It's 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 weird, but it's uh it's it's very uh very compelling. Um, and uh, yeah, this was uh, uh, I, this is how long ago it was. I was watching it when uh, do you remember there, uh, a couple months ago there was an, a Friday night earthquake. Like it was like a midnight earthquake you might have already you might have not been at I, home, might, right? I might not have been in the oh you know what i i was not uh because i on facebook i saw a lot of people commenting about it and i was like oh man i'm missing yeah. everything <laughs> uh yeah so uh now cabinet of dr caligari will always remind me of earthquakes because that's what i was watching uh when the earth quaked uh, it is a film that like when when i, I obviously like when i teach a, a film history course and we talk about german expressionism this is the movie that i show because more so in my opinion than metropolis or nosferatu or faust or any of these other like like when we talk about sort of the artificiality of expressionism it's like yeah. no movie does it more obviously than this yeah, it, it's almost like the movie was made as a teaching tool to illustrate <laughs> yeah. German expressionism. Because every yeah, you're like you're you're right. Everything is is artificial and yeah. and and twisted uh, and distorted. You, you know, you've got like it's clearly on a set. It's not even trying to make you think that it's real. Yeah, you know what I mean. When they're running, they're chasing him along like a a hillside that's clearly just like a yeah. bunch of boards you know, in a, in an odd, uh, at an odd angle. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So it's, it's me. Your turn. Yeah. Now, David, you might get mad at me and the, and the listener might get mad at me. Nothing new. So the, that fair enough. Uh, so the day before, uh, my sons were born, I, I had this thought of like, you know what, between COVID and parenthood, I don't know when the next time I'll get to see a movie in the theater is. And Phoenix had opened up recently, mm. uh, se semi opened up. So I went to a, an early afternoon show of Tenet. Okay. I'm not there, mad at you, but I do disapprove. No, I, and you know what? I normally would too. Uh, but okay. I looked at how many tickets had been sold. Um, and I wore my mask uh, and yeah, there were four other people in the theater. We were all very far away from each other. Um, so it's like, all right, this is like, if I had walked in, if I had not known, I walked into a full theater, I'm not a hundred percent sure I would have stayed. Um, and I took up space in the very, very back row, uh, far away from everybody. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, but yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, I, I feel like I should do this because who knows when I'll get a chance to and provided I do it quote unquote the right way I'm okay with it um, and of course I mean it's 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 Christopher Nolan uh, it's not the Dunkirk Christopher Nolan where I was like really excited about the type of ambition he had but uh, it is much more Inception Christopher Nolan where the script like will slow everything down to explain everything it seems sort of needlessly convoluted but of course the sequences, you know, some of the sequences themselves are, are wonderfully pulled off. Um, so much so that it's, it's, it's admirable, it's ambitious, but as you and I've been, as people talk, say about like, you know, M night Shyamalan and as you and I have said about Christopher Nolan, like he's at his best when he co-writes a script or if someone just writes the script other, if anyone other than him writes the script, but when it's him by himself, I think he gets, 
it's this weird combination of trusting the audience too much and not nearly enough um, where mm. it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating movie and it's very un, unsurprisingly, it's fairly cold. And I felt bad for a lot of the actors having to, to deliver this dialogue this way, because it's like, you could just, it's like when you watch a specific type of mammoth film and it's like, you can tell that the actors like looking to like burst out of this tone or this, the, the restrictions of this dialogue and, and actually try and do something with it. Uh, but just the film is, is so technically technical minded that, uh, that they're unable to. So it was, it was a frust, it was a, a very frustrating film, but you know, in those moments, as is the case with certain aspects of inception, there are moments where it's like, Oh my God, where you see everything it could be. And it, it's so exciting. Uh, and you see the, the obvious talent that, Nolan has, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, by and large, it's, uh, not great. Uh, all right. So back to my wife showing me, uh, movies, uh, that she liked as a kid. Uh, I loved hairspray. So I feel like I, I, um, earned the next one, which is, and Tyler, let me tell you, okay. I, I wanted to like this movie. I went into it wanting to like it because it has a reputation as a bad movie, but I often feel that, uh, we have a tendency or spe- and especially in, in, in the past as far back as the eighties definitely had a tendency in the culture to undervalue movies or like music or stuff that is aimed at women, that, 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 sure. that a women's film is seen yeah. as, you know, as, as less than yeah. so chick flick is a derisive flick. term. Yes. Then yeah. this is the, one of the, I, you can almost guess when I say chick flick from the eighties, you could almost guess do you have a guess as to what it, what it was? I mean, my my first instinct is to go to something John Hughes related, like oh, uh, no. or something like that. No, but, yeah. no, uh, no. This is more on the um, uh, tearjerker side of things. Uh, beaches. I oh, watched oh, Gary you, Marshall's yes, Beaches, yeah. and I really wanted to like it, but uh, I I'm sorry, I, I I couldn't. I just think um, I'm just not. I, there's so many things I like about Gary Marshall as an actor. Oh, absolutely. Um, and just as a personality, he seems like a very warm, uh, or seemed, uh, rest- he passed away, right? He did. <laughs> yes. Um, um, yeah, both the Marshall siblings. That's very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, there's a lot of things I like about Gary Marshall, but I don't think I've ever liked, ever really liked a movie that he's, directed i know people love pretty woman i uh i, I can't there's really... got it there has to got, be something got... <laughs> i've only seen yeah. five you want me to read off the five uh sure. in, in alphabetical order the the five gary marshall directed films that i've seen beaches is number one okay alphabetically uh next up is mother's day which i think was the last one that he directed which i reviewed oh, yeah. for the website another movie i went into wanting to like and didn't uh overboard which is a movie that gets it goes a long way on the chemistry and charm of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Sure. But that is not the same as it being uh, a, a good movie. Uh, Pretty Woman is another one that has a lot of charm in its cast. Uh, not I mean, Obviously, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere are great, but I like Laura Sanjicamo a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Runaway Bride, which I barely remember. <laughs> that, that was just, uh, it felt like reuniting Gary Marshall, Julia Roberts, and Richard Gere were just trying to make lightning strike twice, and I don't think uh, it was a very good movie. Yeah, as I'm looking at his uh, filmography as a director, yeah, uh, a, yeah, yeah, there's, uh, I've seen, let's see, 
Yeah, I've I've se- I haven't seen more than you have. I've seen different ones. Like I remember I saw in the theater at the time with my parents. I saw Dear God, and I remember enjoying that. But I I think it's safe to say that I wasn't super discerning. Um, and I never saw Runaway Bride, but he also did Princess Diaries and Princess Diaries too. It is interesting when you think about it that that this is you know when you think if you were to think of a, a director who sort of specializes in for lack of a better term chick flicks you usually think of like a nor efron or a nancy myers or something like that but i mean that the the bulk of gary marshall's films are yeah. aimed at that audience or if nothing else has a, a, a female protagonist which i find uh, really interesting i don't think i realized that until now he just doesn't seem to have much of a visual sense or a sense for for timing or or, or tone, which is I mean it's odd. He's he, uh, he he seems like he should, but uh, uh, his his movies often feel like uh, clunky and flat to me. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, beaches is is, uh, is is another one of the one of those. Uh, so I'll just move on okay. to. Uh, a newer movie you can see, you can read my review on the website. I watched Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, which okay. is by definition, I think I would call it like a sci-fi thriller, but I would also, if I were working at a video store, I would file it under horror sure. just because of how incredibly uncomfortably, creatively, disgustingly gory this movie <laughs> can be. What's uh, the last name of the director? Uh, Cronenberg. He is the son okay. of David Cronenberg. Um, the premise of the movie, or the story of the movie, Andrea Riseborough already points in, sure. in, in the movie's favor. I love her. Andrea Riseborough plays a, a essentially an assassin, but in a... This is kind of a Christopher Nolan Inception type thing. Luckily, Brennan Cronenberg doesn't go to great lengths to explain how this works or whatever. Yeah. It's because that's not the point. But the idea is that... Uh, uh, they want to kill some person. Let's say they want to kill. I'll say what the thing is in the in the movie. Uh, Sean Bean plays uh, uh, like the like a uh, tech mogul type. Okay, whatever. Very wealthy tech mogul. Someone wants him assassinated, so they find his daughter's boyfriend, played by uh, Christopher Abbott. Is that his name? Mm. The you know the actor. Um, he's in like a ton of shit. Um, um, where's the cast? Yeah, Christopher Abbott. So they find him, kidnap him, drug him, and implant like a a thing in the base of his neck, and that allows Andrew Riseborough, when she goes under this uh, uh, drug or whatever, to be essentially transported into his consciousness and take control of his mind and body. And so she can she can kill Sean Bean, but in Christopher Abbott's body. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. So that's the, that's the premise of, of the movie. So like I said, sci-fi thriller, it's an assassination, uh, sci-fi thing, but, uh, it's really, um, I think, uh, a series of metaphors for depressive disassociation. Um, and the, and to, to paraphrase my own review, uh, if you've probably heard the, um, um, the saying that depression is rage turned inward. Um, uh, 
this is essentially the opposite of that. <laughs> Danny Drew Riceboro is a very depressed person, and uh, um, instead she turns that anger outward. So there's, there's a thing, you know, we see a couple of her jobs where she's supposed to, like in the opening scene, she, by which I mean the woman she's beamed herself into, is supposed to assassinate this, uh, I don't know, some other businessman or whatever, and she's given a gun and she's supposed to do it, like, clean, but instead she grabs a knife and stabs him i think roughly 370 times okay. or something um is you know, like she's she's doing more than she is supposed to do to kill this guy because she's projecting her rage onto everyone uh that that comes uh uh near her um as, a, as somebody who is who's clinically depressed i've heard I've heard that, uh, you know, anger turned inward thing. And I remember, I think when I first heard that, it's like, mm, there's plenty left over for the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the movie is completely, uh, entrancing. It is hypnotic in its, um, uh, gore, I think, um, uh, there's so many things that I want to say about it. That would be spoilers, but, um, just know that I really liked it, but also, I your word of warning. It's, it's very, uh, upsettingly violent. Yeah. Um, and I saw, uh, and I think the only way to see it is the uncut version, but there, are, so yeah, they, uh, this is like, I think it's neon who's putting it out. They're like marketing things. They're releasing it as possessor uncut, but the cut version has never been released. Apparently they, there oh, okay. is a version that got an R rating from the MPA, uh, and um that's going to be com coming out in some form but right now the only way to see the movie as far as i understand it is possessor uncut um so word of warning uh and also by the way i don't know if you caught that i said mpa instead of mpaa yeah um that's what it is and has been for years and i was like only just noticed <laughs> is it just motion picture association yeah yeah and so apparently it, for internationally MPA, the MPA has been MPA for years, oh, but okay. in America, they officially changed the name in like 2018 or something. Oh, wow. And if you, if you watch the movie, if it stays at the end of the credits, if the movie has been MPA rated, they used to say MPAA at the end, it just says MPA now. I don't know how it happened like two years ago. And I've only recently realized that it's the MPA, not the MPAA. I'm too old, David. I can't make the change. I'm going to, I'm going to lose a cumulative like minute and a half of, off my life saying that extra a <laughs> uh, all right i have one more to do before i toss okay. back to you um if i'm doing the math right and this is another one you can review review on the website it's called 12 hour shift um it's a i guess a dark it's a dark comedy um in which um angela bettis who's great um uh plays a nurse who works the overnight shift 12 hour shift at a hospital. And she's part of a sort of, um, kidney harvesting or organ harvesting ring from patients who were near death. These, there's a couple of nurses who will steal their organs, maybe guide them the rest of the way to their death and then sell the organs. And, uh, um, uh, on this one night, uh, an organ delivery goes wrong. And so a bunch of organized criminals, uh, come to the hospital and this Angela Bettis, whose character we can't really approve of because she murders people and steals organs is our protagonist. And we want her to get away with it. I guess, I don't know. The movie's not that great. It feels like, uh, there's a little bit of like, uh, trying too hard to be, uh, to be dark 
type of thing. Like I think okay. the best dark comedies still have humanity in them, which actually makes them darker. If you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Uh, whereas if a movie is just like, yeah, look how dark I am. And then like it, it starts, <laughs> it loses its mooring and it doesn't yes. really mean anything. So, um, uh, unfortunately I can't really recommend 12 hour shift, even though it has Angela Bettis in it, who is, uh, she's an actress that I, uh, really, really like. All right. Uh, this is a film that I mentioned on the, uh, the, uh, Patreon, uh, recently I watched Jeff Orlowski's the social dilemma, the documentary it's available on Netflix right now. And it's all about, I mean, in many ways it's, it's about stuff we already know, which is sort of the, the somewhat insidious and destructive nature of social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or, uh, uh, Instagram. But, but all of them, really. Um, it does seem to focus a little bit more on Facebook because Facebook suggests things. And Twitter can as well, but it's not quite as as forceful um, as Facebook. And uh, the movie's like a quick hour and a half. Um, I think it should, I think it not only could be longer, I think it should. I think Netflix could have made like a six to six or eight part like documentary series about this because yes, it does tell us things that we already know about algorithms and essentially Facebook curating your, your stream for you, as opposed to you going in and saying what you uh, like and don't like it. It looks at the, the things that you have already decided. And then it's like, Oh, well then we'll just, you probably won't like this or will like this. Um, and it's very interesting. And it, and it just, it does talk about like the, the, the larger impact on society, especially when we think politically, when, like there's this mentality. It's like, how could, you know, whoever it is that disagrees with you, it's like, it's like, how could they think such a thing? Didn't they see this, like this article or this interview? Uh, the answer is probably no, uh, they didn't because that would go against what they want. And so it's this idea, like these are our platforms and, and publishers. And the whole point is to like, they don't, they're meant to, to keep your eyes on them and then that's it. And you're more likely to look at something you do like than you don't like, uh, regardless of people hate watching and hate reading things. Um, so I thought that was very interesting and it brings up a, a, a debate about uh, regulation of, of uh, social media and that sort of thing. So um, that's really interesting. It does, it makes a very specific choice that I find, I think I got around, I, I came around on it where they essentially have like, reenactments but of things that didn't happen so they essentially have like scripted moments of like a family and you can see the impact of social media just like on the family and like how addicting it can be and it's you know the family's played by actors you've seen before um and then there's the thing where uh like the algorithm of facebook for example is uh personified by like three different vincent carthizers um and so it's just like, okay, okay, this is a little, this feels unnecessary gimmicky. and it's, it's a little gimmicky, but I did have the thought that like, you know what though, if I were, let's say 15 or 16, which I think an argument could be made, not that this is aimed at them, but that this is very much with them in mind, as far as like the people may be most damaged uh, by this. Um, if I were that age, I might need things a little bit more spelled out. Uh, and maybe a little bit more uh, conventional in, in the way that the information is conveyed. So looking at it that way, I think I, I got around to being like, okay, I see what they're doing here. Um, 
but it is it is jarring and it is distracting like you know for us in many ways it's just like a, a talking heads documentary where everybody's just saying these certain things and then suddenly we cut to this other thing and while it's nice to have a, a break from just constantly you know uh talking heads um the the break does does kind of take you out of it uh but then you get used to it and then you just you know process the information so it's a documentary i would definitely recommend to people but there's you know there's some caveats there uh all right uh moving on to uh another new release movie um you can read my review uh at battleship retention uh i watched ryohei kitamura's the doorman um uh the uh, if you Tyler, I don't know if you recognize the name Ryohei Kitamura. Uh, action fans definitely know who he is because he's made uh, made his name in like the early two thousands. We called Versus, um, oh. but uh, he's as far as his English language work, he's best known as the director of The Midnight Meat Train from two thousand nine. Oh, okay, yes. Um, so the doorman is it's not The Midnight Meat Train. It's uh, uh, well, what is. <laughs> It's the doorman is such a diehard ripoff that you could, I mean, you can call right down to the, like it, it's the same, uh, so many of the same, uh, 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 beats and, and premises, except for instead of an office building under construction, it's a New York high rise under construction, like a fancy New York high rise under construction where most of the, uh, tenants have been, temporarily re- relocated and uh ruby rose that's the other the twist on Die Hard. it's a it's a, a female john mcclain ruby rose plays a a former special ops uh a soldier who gets uh hired as the uh, as a as a doorman at this building um on the uh the same weekend when a group of uh european uh, <laughs> uh um thieves uh broken in to try and steal some uh priceless art from this uh, safe inside one of the uh apartments your your hans gruber here is played by jean renault okay um uh and so it sounds like everything i'm saying sounds like i'm dissing the movie but i think i'm more just like calibrating expectations because i actually think the movie is a ton of fun once you realize okay this movie is it doesn't have a lot of ambition in certain areas. Um, it, uh, you, you know what the story is. The plot is, or the, 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 the dialogue is sometimes laughably bad. Uh, you know, there's, a. Uh, uh, one of the few people left in the building is a family. So it's a teenage boy and Ruby Rose is like trying to protect this boy and, and has to shoot and kill one of the, uh, the thieves. And so she shoots it. She, and, and the guy's like, the kid's like, you killed him. And she's like, not like one of your video games, is it? <laughs> 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 There's dialogue like that throughout the entire movie. It doesn't uh, feel like, she seems a little young for that. Long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Um, but, uh, and it's even by Kitamura standards, it's not even that visually like Gonzo or whatever. It's just like, it seems like a kind of like, it feels like a throwback to like video store days of like the, the, the movie you never heard of that would come out. Uh, you know, the, the B direct to video B movie that would come out and would be a decent, like, actioner to use a a variety type speak uh and that's what the doorman is like if you want uh uh, an action movie where ruby rose uh beats guys up and 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 shoots guys um then check out the doorman all right all right um what am i next up uh all right i talked about this actually a little bit on the um the witch uh the halloween episode of about witches that uh with, with scott but uh 
I watched Hocus Pocus for the first time for right. for Halloween and for the witch episode. And again, I'm sorry, it's just not very good. Apologies to everyone our age who uh, who, who who loves it. Um, apologies to friend of the show Doug Jones, yeah, uh, um, who's who, who's in it. Um, it's just a, a a real sloppy movie um, that never. Uh, is never convincing as any sort of consistent reality. It seems yeah. like the, a lot of the, the, a lot of the scenes belong in different movies. A lot of the actors seem to be uh, in different movies. Um, even the three witches. Uh, I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker's Sarah Jessica Parker is what I was going to say. Um, she's, <laughs> she's great. I, I love her, but, but even her, she's even, she seems to be in a different movie than Bette Midler and Catherine and Jimmy are. Um, it's uh uh it also feels like um i mean it's about teenage kids but it also feels like it was written by men in their 60s sure. um there's a part <laughs> that i can't believe even in 1993 no one no one said like that's not <laughs> that's not how kids talk <laughs> the the kid the the main kid is like he's like a anti-halloween kid that's his whole thing i don't believe in this stuff it's for babies or whatever so like he doesn't want to dress up for halloween so he just like put he has like a baggy sweater and like a side sideways basketball cap baseball cap and his dad's like uh who are you supposed to be and he's like i'm a rap singer <laughs> it is no one I guess, no one I guess said rap singer kid, i guess that kid could possibly. i know i don't think i think the only person who might have said rap singer in 1993 is someone who was in their 60s yeah that's true i don't think i've ever heard it heard yeah, someone say a rap, rap singer, singer. <laughs> uh yeah so um i'm sorry to rain in everybody's uh parade if it upsets them uh you know uh but i i just uh i I just couldn't, couldn't get on board with it, but stay tuned. Stay tuned in this, in this long movie journal for a nineties favorite, which movie that I saw for the first time and loved. We'll get to that later. Uh, next up is another, another movie. You can, um, find my review on the website. And this is one I went in skeptical and ended up quite liking. Uh, it's a movie called shit house. Okay. Um, and it's this, this, uh, I hate to say this, this white dude wrote directed and stars in it. He's a, he was a college student at the time he made it like, or he made like the original short version of it, I guess that got him sure. to make this like on spring break with his college friends, the movies. And again, I, I hate to be this dismissive, but the movie is like co-produced by Jay Duplass. It like, it's like, uh, uh this doesn't sound like the kind of movie I'm going to, I'm going to like. Uh, and yet I ended up, really liking it by uh um because i think the movie is so self-deprecating that okay. uh the character that uh his name's cooper rafe the guy who wrote directly and the stars in it um and the premise is that it takes place over the course of one weekend his freshman year of college he's not adjusting to college well he has uh been clearly helicopter parented and kept very safe in a cocoon by his mother um played uh in a couple of scenes we see her talking on the phone by uh amy landaker uh an actress that i like um uh and and so he's not uh, uh adjusting well and then he has this 
uh, oh yeah, again, another reason to be skeptical of, of this type of movie. It has a before sunrise type of structure, uh, in which he has this like Friday night, he goes to a party at a frat house called the shit house. That's when he gets its uh, name from and runs into his RA played by Dylan Galula. Um, Tyler, if you don't know who Dylan Galula is, that's a girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's, did you watch unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Uh, yeah, no, I watched the first season of it. Yeah. Okay, so she's Jane Krakowski's daughter. Oh, okay, yeah, she's great. Okay, yeah, she is. She's really great and great, a great follow on Twitter. She's very, very funny. Um, and, uh, so they run into each other, end up leaving the party and spending the entire night together. But then the movie's only half over, and then we get to the second half of the movie, which is that this night meant a lot to this boy and almost nothing to Dylan Glue's character, and we see him kind of, uh, instead of like learning to, oh, maybe I, maybe I can fit in and be myself here at college. He goes the opposite direction. It kind of spirals out even further. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the movie, I, I, the movie has a lot of, um, it takes unexpected turns. Um, it has great, uh, performances and very funny dialogue. Um, uh, and it is very sweet and, and humanistic. Uh, I, I surprised, I was surprised by how much I liked shit house yeah uh are you like saying when, you, name, when you said when you said like written and directed and starring a college student in his free time i was like oh boy <laughs> that sounds sounds rough yeah um, again i think he made a short version right in his free, like literally over spring break i think and then this he made like for real uh, uh, but okay, he's uh, so i don't know where they show, yeah he was a student at uh occidental college hmm. and um so the, the movie is actually shot like around Eagle Rock, uh, the Eagle Rock area. So if you're like me and you like seeing LA locations that you don't always see in movies, uh, you get Eagle that. Eagle Rock's too. a big one. Like that's a, it's a, that's a weird community. Not that not the place <laughs> itself, but geographically, like it seems to exist. Like they just pressed that whole city right up against the freeway. And, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, uh, it's one street deep, uh, but several <laughs> miles long. Yeah, um, that's about right. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So it, it, I'm up next, right? Yes. yes. Okay. I watched uh, Ishiro Honda's The War of the Gargantuas from 1966. Uh, it was a, it's a kaiju movie. I, I think officially a kaiju movie, but uh, it's, it's delightful uh, in all the ways that you would expect. Um, kind of silly dialogue uh it, it's a sequel to a to a movie but uh, that one actually is not really well liked and not super well regarded and it's not super accessible uh and this one has kind of taken on a mind of its own and also when you're dealing with kaiju movies does sequel even really mean anything um aside from occasionally characters are referencing a, a monster from the first one that actually is d bears no resemblance as far as I can tell bears no resemblance to the monsters in this. But anyway, uh, I think what, what's interesting to me is that uh, you have this quite gross looking Kaiju, like a very ugly looking Kaiju, like he's scaly and hairy and uh, I don't care for him, uh, but he comes out of the ocean, just starts destroying Japan uh, and then it turns out that he has essentially a brother who lives in the mountains uh, of Japan and he and the brother like the mountain one uh, is not uh, not interested at all in destroying things. And so these characters don't 
talk with each other, but they clearly communicate. And the time comes when they actually have to fight. And of course, in that fight, they destroy a lot of cities uh, uh, and and uh, kill a lot of people. But it's just very interesting to see that, like, you know, we've seen kaiju fight before, uh, one seemingly in defense and one in offense. Uh, but the idea that they're brothers and that they clearly just and you can tell through physicality that they clearly care for each other and they don't really want to be doing this. It's really interesting. And, uh, and it's not the kind of thing that I'm accustomed to seeing, uh, with this kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I saw it. It's, it's, it's everything you expect. It's cheesy. It's, uh, kind of cheap looking at times, but, uh, but it's still uh, a lot of fun. I'm glad I saw it. Uh, all right. Um, uh, okay. Uh, the, the theme of this movie journal for me has been surprise. I expected it like this. It didn't. Did, I didn't expect it like this, but did. Here's one that was no surprise at all. I went in expecting to love it, and I loved it uh, because of the what it is and the pedigree involved. Uh, it's a concert film, I guess, called David Byrne's American Utopia. Sure. It's David Byrne doing David Byrne songs and Speaking talking, of talking songs. head documentaries. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, doing those songs in the format that he was doing American Utopia was a Broadway show uh, and apparently will be it was supposed to come back for a second run and apparently whenever Broadway reopens sometime next summer I guess sure. um, uh, it will be coming back for a second run uh, so it's it's a concert but it's like the the it's high concept the uh, um it has a sort of bare stage with these shimmery like bead walls. And then all of the musicians and David Byrne are all dressed in identical gray suits and are barefoot. And the musicians, even if they're playing drums or keyboards, they just have them strapped to their chest. So everyone's sort of dancing around the stage as they're playing these songs. And there are like interludes in between where David Byrne addresses the audience. Um, and he said like, uh, he's a very, I don't know if charming is the right word. Cause he's very strong strange but he's yeah. a very captivating person david byrne the way he the way that he talks i feel like more people should put him in movies um, sure. but uh, uh so all of that is great on top of that the film itself is directed by spike lee it's so it's spike lee's david byrne's american utopia um, uh and and uh, obviously spike lee has done um concert films if you include like stand-up comedy you know type films uh uh before um and i don't know i would love to i i don't know if um david byrne and spike lee are are friends just like new york artists just uh, uh hang out they don't seem outside of being new york artists they don't seem like they have a lot in common i can't imagine david byrne at a knicks game courtside at a knicks game sure <laughs> doesn't seem like a place he'd feel the most comfortable um i but, like the idea that they keep running into each other just in their in their everyday lives it's like you know what we should work together it, just, it seems unlikely to me but um what, where they did come together is that um uh somewhat serendipitously i guess that um american utopia as a stage show has are already had themes of uh um racial justice mm -hmm. and obviously that's something that spike lee uh um uh, uh talks about in in his movies um and then also obviously you've got the things that happened in 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 
the last few years with uh, more attention being paid to you know um police brutality and and uh, extrajudicial killings of black people by police and the colin kaepernick colin kaepernick actually gets uh, specifically referenced uh in in the stage show um but all of it is the, the and i think this is often true of spike lee's work too he can be angry about these things and david byrne can be angry about these things to the extent that david byrne feels things like normal people um <laughs> but uh it still comes back to a place of positivity and humanism mm. and and um uh the uh, david byrne's songs and, and talking head songs are often very uh especially as they went on there's a lot of joy to them um uh, uh in a in a a sense of togetherness and partiness i guess even when the lyrics themselves aren't necessarily about that uh um there's a communal aspect to to um a clubby almost aspect to talking heads uh music um and david byrne likes to work with other musicians well not if you ask Chris France and Tina Weymouth from uh, the Talking Heads, uh, who uh, haven't exactly had great things to say about him uh, since Talking Heads broke up. But he's clearly loved, like he's always been a, a big tent type of like bringing in, you, you know, the the last time there was a Talking Heads documentary, which is also directed by uh, an auteur, Jonathan Demme, uh, Stop Making Sense. Uh, it wasn't just david and chris and tina and jerry whatever in the band it was they had an entire huge uh band and that seems to be the case here when i saw david byrne uh playing concert back in 2001 maybe he had like a whole like uh uh salsa type uh band backing him up um there's uh there's a lot of joy and togetherness in his music and it comes across in american utopia for all of the way that the for all of the shows uh i on it's not for all of the tie for all of its interest in things that are broken and that are bad um the name american utopia is not ironic okay it is a it, it, there's a there's a belief in people and in america uh in in this show and i i really loved it but i've talked way too long but that one deserved it because it's okay uh it's david byrne um all right, next up is a movie. You can also read this uh, review on the website. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the director's name. But the movie is called Ham on Rye. And that is, a, uh, a not a Charles Bukowski reference. Because okay. um, I don't know if you know, that's a collection of Bukowski short stories called Ham on Rye. I did not know that has nothing to do with that. The director's name is Tyler Tormina. Um, the, there's, I don't want to say too much about the story because uh, in a mu even more stark way than, than Shithouse, um, this movie has a very clear divide in the middle. But basically, at the beginning, we see all these kids, and they're played by actual kids. There's something weird about seeing... We see so many teenagers played by people in their, in their 20s that when you see actual, like... 14 year olds playing 14 year olds they seem too young oh absolutely <laughs> you know yes. what i mean um 
but you've got this, uh, you, you see a bunch of kids, like actual kids, uh, getting ready for what seems like some sort of high school dance. It's got all the, uh, uh, this, this montage of, of, you know, girls painting their nails and boys tying ties and, and, uh, friends picking each other up and parents snapping pictures. Uh, it's got all the hallmarks of they're off to the prom or something like that. Um, and I don't want to say where they're actually going. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, they're going to a diner. That's where, uh, or a deli, rather. That's where the term, the name Hamlin Rye, comes from. But I don't want to give too much uh, um, info about what actually happens there. But what's important to realize is, and you realize it very quickly, is this is a sort of annual ritual that that these kids, when they're this age, in this town, they all do this thing. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like corny, but uh um exciting and like there's a nervousness to it the way that you would feel when you're 13 year old years old and going to homecoming or whatever um it it has that kind of like uh uh anxiety but also that the rush of like oh the girl you asked to dance is actually says, says yes and is going to dance with you it's got all that stuff um and then something happens at the midpoint and the second half of the movie is about people who skipped this ritual, this ritual that everyone in this town goes through every year. Well, some people didn't go and here's, uh, what happens to them. And the, the movie, so the movie's kind of high concept and has this kind of fantastical element to it. But when I tell you, Tyler, that the second half of this movie is one of the saddest things I've ever seen on film. I mean it, it was, it's lovely and aching and yearning but it's so sad this the second half of this movie um uh because it uh, i think in a way the movie is not in a way it's actually not exactly subtle about its its allegories um but uh it's about i think mourning your youth either mourning that you're not young anymore or regretting decisions you made or didn't make when you were young that you will never be able to go back and change now. Like th these sort of allegories are not, like I said, it's very clear that this is what the movie is about, but, uh, to capture that emotion and that, uh, that kind of, uh, melancholy, um, this, this starkly, uh, and this powerfully is I've rarely seen it before. Hamon uh, Rye is, um, it's an odd duck, but it's something special. Hmm. This movie uh okay now i'm gonna skip I, i'm gonna skip over a rewatch but i'm, I'm gonna mention it because okay. it plays into the next movie uh but first i'm gonna take a drink of water okay so what's in the news today oh, so okay. uh another you know we watch a lot of halloween type movies uh during october and another one we rewatched that i hadn't seen since i was a kid is uh uh barry sonnenfeld's the adams family Oh, okay. Yeah. And I don't know when you've last seen it, Tyler, but that movie holds up. It's I'm so good. I'm not surprised. It's been a while since I've seen it and I, I could imagine it, uh, uh, working pretty well. And now once again, I'm going to piss people off and I found that I'm really pissing people off. Cause then my wife was like, wait, you've never seen Adam Sandler values, which I know a lot of people even prefer, or at least preferred mm -hmm. as kids. Um, and uh, so I watched Adam's Family Values for the first time, and I'm sorry, but it sucks. It sucks, <laughs> and I hated it. Um, it like 
and I I looked this up afterwards to see. Okay, the screenwriters of the Adams family, the first one, okay. were uh, uh, the woman who wrote Edward Scissorhands and the dude who wrote Beetlejuice. Oh well, there you go. The screenwriter of Adams and the Values is the dude who wrote Sister Act. Now, I'm not saying whether or not Sister Act is a good movie because I haven't seen it since the theater. I, I liked it when I was in sixth grade or whatever that was. Uh, maybe even earlier. I can't remember exactly when that was. Um, I, uh, but what I'm saying is that's not... He, this guy clearly doesn't get what made the first one work. Yeah. There's... It gets... Because what, what's so great about The Addams Family, and it has that Tim Burton type of even though it's not a tim burton movie it has the tim burton feel of being like this is dark but also this is also super innocent yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like everything that happens implies these very dark things but like it, nothing's uh, nothing really bad happens uh, you know a right. couple people might die it's unclear if they die at the end because they say are they dead does it matter but they're the bad guys that's the within this sort of this sort of safe storybook version, like dark Gothic storybook version. It's okay for the bad guys to die. Uh, everyone else, you know, Pugsley can get like hooked up to an electric chair or whatever, yeah. but we can't actually uh, do anything dark. Uh, Anderson, the values plays like bad sketch comedy. Um, and you know, there's, have you seen Anderson, the values? I forget. I have not. So there's like a, uh, uh, I think it's it's a bachelor party. All oh, right, because that's part of the story is that Fester is like getting married, and there's a bachelor party where there's supposed to be a girl who pops out of the cake, and the joke, quote unquote, uh, is that Lurch accidentally baked the cake with the girl still inside right. it, and she died in the cake. That shit would never happen in the first one because <laughs> yeah. that's not actually funny. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's that's an innocent, the death of an innocent. Exactly, yes. which which doesn't happen in 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 these movies. It it doesn't get what's what's dark, and then it gets it spends. I think the the first Adams family when they lose the house and they move into the motel it gets some fun like here's the Adams family interacting with you know the real world of 1992 or whatever it was yeah. 1991 whatever that movie came out um, uh, and so you get some of that and it's and it's funny you know the depressed Gomez and and Morticia is like why don't we go for a drive now and Miss Gilligan that's funny uh, <laughs> um, but uh, um this one has an entire whole story where Wednesday and Pugsley go off to summer camp and it's right. just way too much, way, way too much of, of that. It's beating, it's flogging a dead horse to keep having the like, uh, Oh, these kids are so scared by, by Wednesday yeah. and she's, uh, you know, unfazed. Uh, uh, anyway, um, it's, it's so off the mark that I, I was, I was really bothered. I, I think because I had just rewatched that and something was, and was so pleased to find that it held up so well and that I yeah. loved it so much um, to then see this movie that feels like it felt like an insult. And I know I shouldn't, I, I'm normally the guy who stands up here and says like, no rise of Skywalker is a good movie. Cause it's a good movie. It doesn't need to fit into the franchise. So I shouldn't harp too much on what Adam's family values does quote unquote to the Adams family. Um, because that's, that's me being inconsistent in my philosophy, but luckily for me, it's just a bad movie anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's not funny. It's aggressively bad sketch comedy. Unfunny. Anyway. All right. 
Well, I was going to say like, good to know. It's like, well, it's not like I was in danger of watching yeah. Adam's Family Values anytime soon. Uh, okay. Is it uh, me or still you? Yeah, it's you now. All right. I watched Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage Cole's Blow the Man Down. Oh, I've seen um, this. Which I pretty much loved, uh, which is probably unsurprising. Um you know, there, there are moments where I'd say where the film is a little bit self-conscious, but I also yeah. really, I really appreciate how kind of self-assured, like they make very specific choices and just go with them and commit to them. And I appreciate that. Um, I, I enjoy the performances. Uh, of course, Margot Martindale is, is a delight, but I also like the, the, you know, the June squib and Annette O'Toole. Like I, it's, it's such a fascinating, I, I enjoy any, and, uh, uh, Marceline Hugo. Is that is her that, name? Is that her name? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's from 30 rock. She's, uh, she is. John yeah. Daughter. yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so exciting. It's always exciting to see actresses like that, uh, who tend to be thought of in one specific way, uh, doing some really great work that you wouldn't expect. Um, and obviously, I mean, this is predominantly a, like a female, uh, like, like a, a, female driven film, uh, on like lead supporting villain, uh, you know, all of that, uh, which is very exciting to see, uh, because that allows you to run the gamut of, of character types, as opposed to saying like, well, this is what it's like. Uh, you know, if you, if you only had like, a, uh, two young women as the protagonist in like a, a small town full of like men trying to like keep them down, like the, and they create such a sense of place. This idea is like, yeah, there's a reason that like historically women run this town because like their men are their their husbands are always like uh, out to sea, you know, so they have to run everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of just this, this concept of this town would seem to be kind of quaint, but there's this underworld, but it's not, it's not simply either, or it's characters that are trying to, you know, characters that would seem to be wholesome have, in sort of engaged with this underworld and now they're trying to move past that and act like it's not there, but it still is. And so there's, and it's all, you know, wrapped up in like emotions and relationships. And I find that all really, really interesting. And it's, and I think without that, I would have appreciated aspects of the film, but I don't think I would have embraced it as much as I do. Uh, because like I said, it's a little bit self-conscious, um, tonally i mean it's certainly you can tell there's a lot of there's a lot of cohen brother uh influence in there which is not a bad thing but if you if you lose the heart then you are definitely not doing justice to that uh, that bit of inspiration but i don't think they do i think they create a, a really interesting uh a really interesting and engaging film that i often find quite amusing uh while also still being definitely uh involved with the story itself so i was i was very glad that i saw it um uh then you like the uh the maybe the most important male presence in the movie is the uh sea shanties uh yeah. being sung i still like it's been a year since i saw because I, I saw the afi fest last year mm -hmm. and i still hum go down you blood red roses go down <laughs> um, anyway uh all right so moving on we're still in uh, yeah we're still in halloween i've watched a lot of halloween type stuff this year um a movie natalie and i watched that neither of us had seen before uh from i can't remember what year 86 i think april fool's day I don't know if you've, you've oh, seen yeah, yeah. this. So yeah, yeah so I, I, I kind of love it. 
it's so good i didn't know like uh um you know there's halloween is great obviously yeah. uh my bloody valentine is very nasty fun new year's evil is eh, okay it's a good la sure. movie a uh, good valley movie um uh, he actually, uh, in New Year's Eve, he actually stashes a body behind the dumpster behind circus liquor, uh, which is <laughs> like still there to from, this day. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but that's not the point. Now, obviously, there was a rash of 80s. Uh, like after Halloween, there was a whole rash of 80s. Uh, let's set a slasher movie on this holiday. Um, and April Fool's Day is an odd one, but uh, as it turns out, a super fun one. And yes. April Fool's Day is a super fun movie. Um it, it it has a, a, tr- a terrific sense of 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 humor um uh it, it has it also has such a great i, I almost want to like i i'd have to like go back and like rent it again and like take screenshots but i want to do like a tweet thread charting over the course of this weekend they spend it at this cabin how many different outfit changes some of these characters go through <laughs> like it almost feels like within 1986 they were like with an eye towards the future we want to timestamp the hell out of this movie and make it the most 1986 uh fashions uh possible uh uh tom wilson uh your friend tom wilson um plays a character who uh this is weird because uh, he's like kind of like the dumb like uh jock bro character but tom wilson has always kind of looked like my dad yeah and the way that he's dressed in this movie it looks like how my dad looked in pictures when he and his friends would like play softball or whatever you know mm-hmm. just like uh the you know the 80s short athletic shorts and like a uh you know and a a, a a gray like uh crew neck sweatshirt or like uh, uh anyway that's not the the point the point is the movie is a ton of fun there's not a lot uh that I want to give away because it has some fun being an April fool's day movie. It has some fun twists and turns and, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, fake outs and all kinds of, uh, uh, terrific stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it is, uh, it's really fun. Yeah. And it's, a, it's its own little, uh, in a way, sort of a, just a meta tribute to the movies, to the other slasher movies of the time. And there are a lot of like diehard horror movie fans that do not care for it because they don't like those fake outs. There's like, well, yeah. And yeah, I I'll try not to spoil anything, but like, you know, there are moments where it appears somebody has died in a tremendously gory, horrific way. And then it's like, Oh no, that was just, that was within the movie. Someone was like playing a prank and there I've seen people be like, be like, Oh, well, that's like, that's ridiculous. Like, well, you saw the gore, you saw the same gore that you saw in any of these other, other movies. And by the way, no one's, really dying in those either uh it's all fake um but yeah so uh but i i love that yeah it's a lot of fun uh all right so next up for me is maybe uh again you can read this review this is uh, this in general is a trend that is clearly happening a lot lately was it last year two years ago we had the other side of the wind Mm -hmm. and uh amazing grace and uh uh now we've got hopper uh uh hopper wells and like basically movies that were produced many, many years ago, but are only finally finished and coming out now, yeah. which by my, like, was it, was it last year or two years? What year is the side of the wind? 2018? 18. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I'm obviously very strict about 
what qualifies as a release date, but by my rules, the other side of the wind is a 2018 movie. Yeah, uh, no, and I, so, I, I incorporated it. Um, yeah, I think it made my list too. Uh, but so also by my rules, Nation Time is a 2020 movie, but Nation Time is a documentary that was filmed in 1972 at the 1972 uh, I've, the National Black Political Convention Caucus. Um, uh, so you've got all these um, speakers and performers. You've got um, uh, Amiri Baraka and Jesse Jackson, Credit Scott King, uh, Betty Shabazz, Harry, Harry, Belly, Harry Belafonte, uh, Dick Gregory speaks, Isaac Hayes mm. uh, performs, uh, Richard Browntree shows up with Isaac Hayes, and the whole thing's narrated by Sidney Poitier. It's clearly of its moment and like it, capturing this moment in uh, black activism and black politics, uh, and yet just never really f- got finished or came out. But now it's now it's out uh, at a time when again we're seeing a lot of activism around black people in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, so it's 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 fortuitous. It's serendipitous to use that word twice in in one uh, uh, in one episode. Uh, but the movie itself is is a uh, really fascinating. It's mostly like. I mean, this sounds like I'm, what's the word, dominionized, dominionizing, diminishing, whatever. Uh, It sounds like I'm diminishing the movie by saying it's kind of like a concert film, like, because you've got a series of performers or speakers, um, and the movie just mostly shows them. You get very little behind the scenes. The behind the scenes stuff tends to actually be the most fascinating. In fact, the opening sequence of the movie is uh, one of the organizers addressing in like the press media room, addressing the press and media and saying, hey, way more of you showed up than we thought would. Please try not to be a distraction or get in anybody's way. Sure. <laughs> um, it's which is, uh, really interesting. Um, and then we get uh, uh, some of the stuff that happens like in the convention hall, like in between speakers in the convention halls where you've got um, uh, you've got people who are sort of like essentially soapboxing in the convention center hall and not everyone, you know, this just because they're all black political activists doesn't mean they're all showing up with the same politics, you know? And so yeah. you've got some differences of opinion uh, there, but uh, the speakers on stage also address the differences in, uh, in politics. And basically they're saying like, we're here because we want more black people to be elected into uh, into office we don't care what party um sure. uh, in fact jesse and jesse jackson gets most of the first half of the movie is just jesse jackson's speech and he's however you feel about how uh, 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 about him i've always been uh, a fan but however you feel about him he's a really uh, uh, electrifying speaker and f- yeah. uh, fascinating to to watch, especially in 1972 at the uh, you know the height of his powers and his uh, youth and charisma. He's he kills it. It's a fascinating speech, and he says, um, uh, you know, I, I just framed it as like you can be Democrat or Republican. The way he says it is, I don't trust white Republicans or white Democrats. <laughs> um uh so uh yeah it's a it's a it's a really interesting uh movie um and uh yeah um you get to see uh 
Harry Belafonte says the N word, which is weird. Like it's not weird when Dick Gregory doing like a stand-up bit <laughs> yeah. says it. You expect Dick Gregory to say it. It's it's yeah. weird. Like you don't. It's not something you expect to hear from Harry Belafonte, but he. Yeah. Uh, uh, but he says it too, which is, I don't know why I brought that up. It was just one of the things that like stood out to me uh, uh, about it because I didn't expect it. Uh, and then I should have one more. Oh yeah, this won't take long. You can read my not very positive review. Uh, uh, on uh, at the website but uh over the moon is a netflix original animated movie oh yeah um which now i uh earlier in this pandemic uh natalie and i got a new tv it's a bigger tv but more importantly it's a uhd and hdr capable tv mm. and over the moon kind of feels like an entire movie made to make you feel positive about your hdr capable tv purchase (laughs) (laughs) it's incredibly bright and colorful and i did spend a lot of movie going like this tv looks pretty fucking good (laughs) but the the movie's pretty pretty hollow um it's got your standard uh uh kids movie animated kids movie uh premise of like the there's a girl and she's very happy with her two parents She's got okay. two parents. She loves them both. And she's very happy. And then it oh, usually like happens. Everything will be fine. <laughs> right. It usually happens in this, these movies, one of the parents dies. So then we fast forward a few years to where it's her and her dad. And he is now dating another woman. And it's like mm. bringing her one, wants his daughter to meet this woman he's dating and she does not like it. And so now here's where we get to animated movie territory. She goes to the moon. She builds her own rocket and flies off to the moon. Um, to try and like, there's a legend of a woman who lives on the moon uh, and she needs to prove that this legend is real to prove to her dad that uh, love is forever or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, so the point, the point is that it's just a series of like big set pieces, especially once she gets to the moon, it's incredibly colorful, incredibly bright. Um, uh, it's often incredibly loud. Um, it's a musical. Uh, it's, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it feels it's mostly half baked, but uh, if you have an HDR TV and you're looking to test it out. <laughs> All right. No, I think you're up. That's a, that's a ringing endorsement. Uh, OK, so this is a, we're getting into sort of my rewatch section here um, this is a film I haven't seen in. I mean, very between 18, like 18, 20 years. Who's to say? Uh, and that is Galaxy Quest. Um, a film that I liked certainly at the time, really liked a lot of people like it. Uh, and then as I, as sort of geek and nerd culture has become more, uh, acceptable. Um, and I think as, as I have come to have a more of an understanding of things like Star Trek and, and any kind of science fiction TV show or really any TV show and just the idea of certain tropes and that like, you can actually send something up while also celebrating it. Um, like all as, as I've gotten older, I've, I've grown into liking galaxy quest even more um, than I did at the time. Um, it's, it's oddly, uh, it's oddly poignant at times, like this idea of having affection for a fan base, uh, whether you're part of it or, or outside of it um, and recognizing the, the, the passion that's, that's underneath that. Uh, and it's, and of course it's also very funny. Um, and there are certain things that I don't think I quite realized the first time around, like Alan Rickman plays, you know, an actor who plays this alien, uh, in a star Trek setting. And he has this like makeup on his head, uh, and you never see him 
with without that like whether it be backstage mm-hmm. or whatever like you at times like you see it ripped up a little bit and you see some hair underneath but that's it and so it's just such a neat concept to uh it's almost like the movie it's because the character the alan rickman character does not respect this character that he's been playing for so long and it's almost as though the movie itself is like we don't care this is how we see you um so i just love that and i love uh sigourney weaver being like the person whose job it is to simply restate and maybe slightly paraphrase paraphrase what the computer's already said it's it's Man, it really is a movie that I've come to really uh, appreciate. And I'm very glad I rewatched it. And I feel like it's something I'm going to rewatch again sooner rather than later, certainly sooner than like, you know, uh, the last almost two decades. Um, and uh, and I, I would encourage people to, I imagine many of you have already, you listeners have already rewatched it uh, or already seen it, but uh, check it out again because there's some really good stuff in there. Yeah, I, I remember liking it a lot when I was in high school, I guess, probably about the same uh, time period you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also haven't seen it since, but I've been meaning to rewatch it because um, the director, Dean Pariseau, uh yeah. just directed Bill and Dead Face the Music, which I liked did. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, all right. So now if I've done if we've done the math right, Tyler, I should have 10 more and you should have five more. Uh, okay, I have five more. Yes. Okay, so I'm I'm just gonna do two this time. Uh, again, sticking with Halloween, but also with new releases and movies you can read reviews of on the on the website. Uh, I watched Justin Simeon's Bad Hair, uh, okay. which is av- available on Hulu. And I went in. Uh, you know, I was a little skeptical because I didn't love Dear White People as much as a lot of people did. Justin Simeon's previous mm-hmm. uh, film, but um, I think something we've seen. Even it's increased, even in the years between the five years or so, but six years between uh, Dear White People and now. Uh, and I talked about this. Patron, patrons know that I talked about this a while back on the when we do our TV journal. I talked about how one of the things I love about the show Rami is that and what it represents about about American TV and American movies uh, is that as we are telling more diverse stories, we're also feeling less of a need to make those stories clear to white audiences, you know, like over explaining to white audiences. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I feel like, uh, bad hair, um, is a movie that I think, I think dear white people did kind of like it. it, it I, one of the things I didn't like about it as a white liberal is that I felt like it was giving me an out, giving me a moral off ramp, sure. you know, telling me that I could be one of the good ones. Um, uh, but, Bad Hair is a movie that isn't really about white people. James, James Vanderbeek is 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 in it, who shows up from time to time as the he's like the boss's boss in the movie, and he shows up sure. a, from time to time to just be supportive, but in a condescending way. But he's he's not really a main him, character. Do you think they cast him just for the actor's last name because it's the whitest name you've ever heard? Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's not really like, so he, he's not really a big character. He's good in the movie, but he's only in like, he's in maybe three or four scenes, but even then they're like just a few lines a piece. Um, uh, most of the movie is uh, uh, about these black characters. And that's kind of what I think the movie's about is that ideas of whiteness as the norm, as a standard, or even as the ideal have seeped their way into black culture so that even when James Vanderbeek or other white people aren't around, these things are still perpetuating themselves that they, that, that the having long straight hair, um, uh, which is the premise. I don't know if you know the premise of the movie is it's a, uh, it's a horror comedy, uh, about a woman who gets a weave that turns out to be, um, 
self-aware and murderous and starts oh, killing fun. people it is it's super fun um uh but so, uh, so far all i've done is talk about what the movie is sort of uh about thematically what i also want to say is the movie clearly justin simeon clearly loves horror movies because uh as much as i call it a horror comedy it's not a horror spoof i know it's like a, has this right. silly seeming concept but it's a real like movie that that a real horror movie that pulls from sort of the tropes of witch movies the tropes of creature features and a number of different like subgenres of of horror movies and and it it takes that shit seriously um while also having uh some really funny lines uh uh lena waith who's someone I really like uh, has a line in the movie where she's like some along the lines of i cannot die today i ain't been to church i ain't been to church in years <laughs> 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 um uh i uh to go with the back to the theme of surprise uh i i, I didn't think i, I was surprised i was afraid i wouldn't like it i wanted to like it and i turned out it turned out i liked it quite a bit okay. uh so uh one more okay Another uh, streaming movie premiere, uh, horror movie, uh, streaming horror movie premiere, horror movie streaming premiere, whatever, that I watched that is unfortunately a swing and a miss uh, is Robert Zemeckis' The Witches. Oh, sure. Uh, It's a garish CGI nightmare. Um, And I know, I mean, you expect it's Robert Zemeckis. He's going to go all out on the... but I feel like sometimes it's a garish CGI dream, uh, <laughs> but it is, it's going to be garish either way. Um, there's something about like the Nicholas Rogue, the witches is gross. Yeah. But in a way that fits the world, I feel like Robert Zemeckis in trying to make the, 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 the CGI as memorable as possible. He made the movie, disgusting in a way that doesn't seem to like really play like when you know how uh you know the premise of the witches i'm yeah. sure you've seen the nicholas rogue movie you know people turn into mice in yeah. the movie but in here when people turn into mice first they're like skin pops out and all these steamy purple pustules oh wow. it's, it's disgusting yeah <laughs> and the movie is just gross everything visually about it is so gross uh all the way through uh in a way that does not seem intentional it seems like uh, a, a misplayed uh, hand. Um, Robert Zemeckis maybe didn't realize uh, how ugly a movie he was making. Um, mm. uh, uh, that said, I mean, there's some okay stuff about it. I do think uh, Anne Hathaway is clearly having a ball sure, in the uh, Angelica Houston role. Um, and I enjoy that. Good for her. Um, uh You've also got um, uh, Octavia Spencer, who's a national treasure. She's always good. I always like her, even in bad movies. I, I like her. Um, you've got the voice of Chris Rock, which is weird. Uh, yeah. Like, I keep seeing, like, trailers pop up for it, like, uh, at the beginning of, a, like, a YouTube video that I turn on or something. And uh, and then I hear him. And I was like, what? This this feels like it doesn't fit with the 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 world that he has, that uh, Zemeckis has created. Like, yeah. Uh, but I would say, I mean, the main thing, uh, the movie, I guess that I will say in defense of it in its favor, uh, it relocates from, uh, 1980s or I guess early nineties, uh, uh, England to 
'60s uh, Alabama. Oh, okay. and so I think it does find some interesting sort of parallels in the idea of witches play witches prey on children, and these children, these poor black children, are more vulnerable because sure. they are less valued by society, and they can uh, be disappeared or turned into mice, as it were, uh, right. more easily. So it finds some things. So the to witches say is a lot like season that. two of Mindhunter, is what you're saying. Uh, yes, got it. Like season got two it. of Mindhunter. Uh, all right, you're up next. Uh, all right. This is actually, uh, this is not a rewatch. Um, it is a streaming horror movie that looked, you know, we, I mean, like yeah, undoubtedly, uh, and you probably get more emails about like streaming uh, uh, horror movies that are like low budget and you haven't heard of them and that's fine. Um, I ignore most of them, but every once in a while, there'll be one that looks kind of interesting to me. So uh, I review, I wrote a review of it. It's on uh, the site and it is Silas Dolls They Reach. Uh, a film that on every conceivable level is clearly inspired by, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be generous and say inspired by uh, stranger things uh, so much. So that, like, even if you look at the, it, there've been, a, there are a couple different posters and one poster is really uh, trying to um, play that up. And then the other, not so much, but even the font of the title is it kind of evokes stranger things. Um, and uh, and so yeah, it's it's uh, it takes place in the late seventies, uh, and so you've got like those fashions and stuff, and th- these three kids stumble on um, a, uh, a a series of of strange supernatural goings on, and uh, I'll say this: it's it's far from perfect. Like the the acting is actually uniformly not great. It has there are some moments here and there, but for the most part, it just the the actors are all a little bit self-conscious um and the story itself meanders a little bit and when and when the movie attempts to like have overt comedy i think it it falls short so that's a lot of flaws but i still but i think i still recommend the movie because it's incredibly good looking um which you don't expect from a low budget horror movie especially these days you expect it to have just a sort of a digital flat look but no he uh, Silas Dahl and his cinematographer like really are doing good things visually with the film so much so that it's like, I'm just really excited to see what he does next. Uh, but then also the scares and the, the general creepiness uh, is really effective. Um, there are a couple moments where, you know, uh, our, our main character like sees somebody with their back to her. And so she approaches them and sometimes it, whoever's playing like the, the the character with their back to her just in the just in their posture you're like something is is very wrong and like i don't want this person to turn around um and it's that kind of thing where you're even though like i'm not super into the acting the characters are fine but like more than but it still does such a great job of of getting me in invested in what happens or more specifically what i don't want to happen like in any good horror movie, you're like, no, don't do that. You know? And in this case, like, don't approach that person. Don't, don't put your hand on them. What are you doing? You know? Uh, and so it's really effective from an atmosphere standpoint, from a visual standpoint. Uh, it falls short in a, num- in a number of other ways, but I think I still recommend it. Uh, all right. Um, I told you I'd get to a much beloved nineties, which movie that people love. Um, uh, and uh, people might've already guessed what it is. Uh, it's the craft. Okay, I was, I, 
I didn't think it was going to be practical magic, but I was trying oh. to think, uh, but I figured it was probably the craft. Yes. Uh, and I, maybe I, uh, fell into my own trap, or at least back in, in when I was in middle school and this came out, uh, or, or fell into the, um, I can't talk today. We've been, it's been too long since we did a movie journal. Um, I made the mistake that I decry of undervaluing things that are aimed at, at girls. And I think I assumed the craft was the, I assumed it was more of a fashion type movie than anything else. That it was just, <laughs> that it was just like, Oh, a bunch of uh, teenage girls get powers and they dress all spooky and, and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, I knew it was rated R because I, as I've told the story in the podcast before, I wasn't able to go see it at the time. Um, uh, but what I didn't realize is that it earns that R not just by having them say fuck and whatnot, but, uh, by being an actual, like creepy, freaky, dark witch movie, things get fucked up in this movie, hmm. um, in a way that I did not see coming. Um, it really, again, for a movie that I thought was just going to be about, clothing again <laughs> um and hairstyles uh it really commits to the witch thing to the like demon worship the satanic demon worship uh part of it and it commits to the idea that um uh these spells can go wrong in terrible awful ways um uh i i i yeah, I, I, I really, really um, uh, loved it and, and would uh, I look forward to watching it, maybe making it a Halloween uh, tradition. It's it's okay. it's really cool. Also, I realized 1996, Nev and Skeet were on screen together twice. Man, I didn't realize that Skeet was in once, this movie. once more. And they're the America's sweethearts of the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> um, although in this movie, they're not. Uh, it's Robin Tooney and, and Skeet okay. are the are the couple, but just the fact that Nev uh, Nev and Skeet are both uh, are both in it. Uh, listeners know I'm a Nev head. Um, sure, of course. Yeah, I actually just on the last week's episode, which you weren't on, Tyler. I just yeah. uh, called myself a Nev head. Um, yeah, didn't disappoint. Really, really loved the craft. So let's move on to a movie that I liked. I guess. I'm not sure what it's for right now. Uh, I watched a movie that I guess I'm going with the title Borat subsequent movie film. Sure. Because that is officially the title of the movie. Although I know we've had this conversation with Scott on the show before that he says the official title is the on screen. The title is what appears on screen. I don't know how he would contend with the on screen title of Borat too, because the premise is that, the movie has like three different title cards because Borat's like mission within the movie keeps changing. And so the movie gets a new oh. title every time his, his mission is different. Okay. Um, the premise of the movie is that Borat, uh, the premier of Kazakhstan is jealous that uh, Donald Trump loves all these um, authoritarian strongman dictator types and doesn't love him. So he sends Borat to America to bribe the Trump administration first by giving him a monkey, but then the monkey dies in transit. Um, uh, and then by giving him, uh, his Borat's own daughter who, yes, she's the second choice after the monkey, because that's in Borat's picture of Kazakhstan. It's a, uh, an incredibly, um, uh, misogynistic, uh, place. Um, and so on the, on the first level of the, I would say the most important level is the movie funny. 
yes it is okay. i laughed a lot at the movie um uh i i like that it found ways to incorporate the fact that borat the movie was a huge hit because within this movie's re- reality borat the movie was a huge hit so when he goes back to america as borat people recognize him and so we see people recognizing him yeah uh, and that plays into it so then we get him donning a series of disguises so it's sasha baron cohen pretending to be borat pretending yeah. to be like an american like trucker from the south or whatever it's sure that's very funny um it's also fascinating that the movie this you know we see at one point he uh dressed as donald trump goes to a cpac uh conference and this probably would have been in like february or so and we see mike pence addressing the cpac crowd and saying you know uh there's only like one case of coronavirus in the states Hmm. we're ready we're ready for whatever's coming and then like coronavirus happens and there's a whole part where the movie was produced with like under quarantine for oh. is like under lock, like quarantining with these like uh, uh, Pacific Northwestern, I guess rednecks is the mean version, but sure. you know, uh, um, uh, with them, he goes to a anti-lockdown rally in Seattle. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, really uh that so it's really just as a time capsule it's really interesting to see to to see that stuff um i would say my my biggest problem with the movie is that i think with 2006's borat and even going further back to the leg show um i don't know if you ever watched the leg show um i think once or twice yeah did you ever see the famous maybe the most famous borat segment uh which is when he gets all those people in a bar in texas to sing along to a song about throwing jews down the well okay so there's a similar part at the anti-blockdown rally in this movie where he's he gets people to sing along to a song about how we should chop up journalists like the saudis do um the difference is i think in the more innocent aughts we could say like oh or sasha baron cohen is really really forcing people to reveal certain things about themselves about what is actually you know the beating heart of red state conservatism or whatever um post donald trump it's kind of like yeah we know (laughs) it's no longer a secret like yeah uh, and and it's i mean like like twitter and facebook i mean there were so there were some social media but it wasn't what it is now like everything's out there now like there's no subtext uh in the world yeah so there's a certain part of like is he like really owning anybody there like there's a uh there's a creepy um plastic surgeon who he gets to basically because the the actor playing his daughter who's great maria bakalova is her name she's so great in the movie um she's an adult but the character is 15. She's playing sure. a 15 year old and he does like catch this, uh, this creepy plastic surgeon basically, basically saying, if your father weren't here, I'd be trying to fuck you. <laughs> like, so there are a few things where he actually catches sure. people out, but a lot of it is like, yeah, we, we, we know. Um, or like there's some things where he's just like, uh, and I guess this is this is just funny. Not I have to remind myself. Not all of it is just to make a point. Some of it's funny. Right. Um, so there's a whole part where um, she, being from the daughter, being from Kazakhstan, has never had a cupcake before because I don't have cupcakes in this version sure, of, of Kazakhstan. Uh, so she 
very uh, voraciously eats this like it's a boy cupcake that has a little baby like plastic baby in it mm-hmm. and she swallows the baby and so he takes his daughter to a women's clinic to get the baby out but yeah. of course it's a christian women's clinic who don't do that mm. but they don't explain you know they play up the like lost in translation the language barrier thing yeah. and just saying like we want you to get this baby out but i'm like i'm waiting for him to like own this guy but sure. he doesn't he's just like no we don't do that and it's like the guy's really like not judging just we don't do that but so i had to remind myself like oh this premise is still funny even though it's not yeah like, it's not particularly like uh sh- like sharp or or uh edgy yeah. or anything yeah yeah but it's funny how they got to this like that's a good yeah setup and payoff uh so yeah overall i would say if to get to the point of the movie if you want to watch a funny if you like Borat, you want to watch a funny Borat movie. It's pretty funny. Um, okay. It's not, I don't know if Borat, but my overall point is I don't know if Borat can even do what that character is meant to do anymore yeah. uh, in, in our current climate. Uh, all right. I think you're up now. Okay. Next for me, uh, it's all rewatches at this point, movies I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, so uh, Jen's friend uh, and Jen and myself, like we, during like the, the, quarantine like we sort of would get together um and and, uh, sometimes um like over zoom is it so like we'd be watching a movie all at the same time and then we would zoom about it afterwards um and uh and so we were we were going through like the marvel movies and now we decided the uh, to go through all the star wars movies and the order was decided by me because i was really intrigued to see just purely in in terms of like chronological order so not released chronological chronology in the universe yes so it goes episodes one two three solo rogue one and then the rest of the episodes um so that means we started with the phantom menace um and i haven't seen it in quite a while and everything that people have said negatively about it is true. And obviously we think about like Jar Jar Binks. We think about uh, the complete non-entity of Darth Maul um, and all of that. Uh, so from we, we tend to focus on the writing uh, of it. But I will say the filmmaking of the movie is astonishingly dull. Oh, um, that's too bad. And it's like... I don't think I quite realized just how visually nothing the movie is like, yes, there's the pod race. And even that goes on a bit long. Like you can tell when George Lucas is much more engaged with what is happening on screen, but anytime someone is talking, like it's like, it's like, okay, so the person, it's a basically a medium shot. They're smack dab in the center of the screen, maybe a little bit too much headroom. And uh, there's, there's there are scenes where a character's standing in front of a wall and it's not like a lineup or anything they're just they happen to be standing in front of a wall and they're talking and there's nothing on the wall so there's just them with like tan behind them and it's just like that is you don't get flatter than that uh visually and it happens yeah, all literally the time like, uh, my are like sophomore year film film school teachers would have told us not to do that of course you know and uh but certainly nobody's telling george lucas no uh and then 
And also, so it's like visually uninteresting, but then also, and I guess this could be a function of the script, but also you can take a, you can take a a not great script and still through filmmaking, through all the standard, like editing and cinematography, you can make it more interesting, but the way it's cut together, there's just no urgency in any scene except for like the pod race and then the big uh, lightsaber duel at the end. Like characters will actually say like, we, we need to hurry. And then they don't, they just, they just still hang out. Like so many scenes take place with characters sitting down and just, and talking about uh, the, the, the dire ramifications of something. And yet there's no urgency in the filming. There's no urgency in the acting. Like it is a shockingly bad film uh, on, on every level. Like we talk about the script, but we are neglecting how bad it is on every level. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of weirdly disappointed to hear that because I haven't seen it since the theater and I didn't like it then. Yeah. But I kind of talked myself into because I, because I, because of the fact that I've become so allergic to franchise filmmaking by committee from studios that I've talked myself into thinking like, this is at the very least, this is still one man's vision or one person's vision. And maybe I would find something interesting in that, uh, but maybe not. Uh, all right. So, uh, I've got in, in a minute, I've got my own, uh, dull effects heavy movie to talk about, but first I want to talk about, uh, 1979's reigning in the mountain, which is a film directed by King who, who's best known for a touch of Zen and dragon in, uh, and a new restoration of reigning in the mountain is now available through the virtual cinemas. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a, a, a super fun sort of, uh, politicking backstabbing heist type of double cross uh movie in which um uh, a few very important men you know uh uh generals and lawyers whatever it takes place uh thousands hundreds of years ago i can't i'm not good at this uh go to a buddhist temple uh, and they shot the movie in an actual Buddhist temple in South Korea that has since become a UNESCO world heritage site. And you can see why in the movie, it's fucking beautiful. The movie is like worth watching just for the locations alone. And then King who also does all sorts of great things with people interacting with yeah. this beautiful, uh, mountainside, uh, temple. Anyway, uh, they go to this temple to give advice to the aging abbot who is planning to pick a successor because he's going to die soon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh so there's a lot of like i said the politicking thing a lot of these guys are trying to um get their preferred monk you know uh uh picked as a successor because they can then use political influence or whatever um but then also there's this very uh um there's this priceless original ancient scroll in the temple's locked scroll library and a bunch of different people. Like one guy uh, brought his, his new concubine who was actually a professional thief that he's brought along uh, to, to try and sneak into this scroll library and steal this scroll. And so you've got all these shenanigans and, and heist movie type of type of things uh, happening. And then meanwhile, in the center of all of it, you've got a guy who, uh, uh, and I, I guess this is something that could happen back then. He was sentenced to prison um, for theft, but then was able to buy a monkhood. I don't know if that's the right. Uh, okay. uh, basically, he was able to pay enough to the government. They would say, instead of sending you to prison, you can become a monk and go live in this. Uh, and so he's like the new uh, 
the guy who, despite being a, a prisoner, which may or may not, uh, he may or may not actually be a criminal, might have been framed. Well, you know, we, we find out about that. But despite that, he's the innocent here. Everything that is happening uh, with the scheming is happening uh, uh, around him. Um, I don't know. I'm hoping when I'm describing it sounds like a fun movie because it is a very, very fun movie. Okay. Next up, uh, a very unfun movie is it the new movie from Andre Overdahl. And I guess I liked Troll Hunter, and I guess I need, need to just stop expecting things from Andre Overdahl because okay. I didn't like Scary uh, Stories to Tell in the Dark, and I really didn't like his brand new movie, Mortal, which yeah. uh, is... Uh, I, I read it, your review of it, and I love the way you start your review because um, I tend not to... I, I don't remember. I tend not to think of your writing style as overly conversational or or overly casual but in that moment it's like yeah he does that thing where you know like it's like you're so in in being casual you're just so obviously dismissive of the choice to like uh define the word mortal and it's like yeah we oh. know the word <laughs> yeah, we know how right. it's defined we got it. i forgot about that um yeah it does start with the definition of the word mortal uh yeah. anyway um that shows how little the movie thinks of its of its audience it's a norwegian movie but it's um i guess a American co-production because it stars Nat Wolf, I think. Okay. Because there's two wolves and I get them mixed up. I think it's yeah. A, um, it's not the one from Hereditary. That's the That's other Alex. Wolf. I believe that's Alex Wolf. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nat Wolf plays an American with of Norwegian ancestry who goes home and sudden or goes goes to his an, you know his ancestors' homeland and suddenly is imbued with powers he can't control that keep causing people around him to to die and uh uh he wants to get to the bottom of it and he finds you know all the authorities are after him but he finds one uh friend this young uh psychologist um who uh, is is willing to put her own self at, at risk to help him get to the bottom of what's happening to him um and i say happening to him because up until the very end and even then not really he's an, an entirely passive character in a way that i movie like there are movies that do that in an in interesting way um but here it just seems like the movie is an excuse for these big effects sequences because as his powers keep getting out of control you know it starts with he starts little fires or whatever but by the end he's like entire like you, you know storm like lightning storms are like forming above his his head uh and so you've got the you know these these big huge effects completely soulless effects sequences um and, and that's why i say happening to him because it just seems like the movie's an excuse to have these kind of effects and he doesn't actually have to react um uh i don't want to go you know what it's not worth going too much further into okay. into the movie uh it's just pretty boring all right and it also uh, clearly seems based on its ending clearly seems like it's setting up a franchise. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. <laughs> uh, okay. Is it me now? Yeah. Okay. So this is a rewatch, a movie I've, I'd seen many times when it came out uh, like, and, and bought it on, on DVD and stuff. Um, and that is Shane Black's kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, a movie that uh, I'm glad I rewatched and I still find it very funny, but I do also think that some, some of the stuff that seemed novel at the time, uh, which is like, you know, motor mouth, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, 
who I think my favorite th- part of it in retrospect is his performance. Because if you watch like the Avengers movies, he just exudes intelligence as Tony Stark. Whereas here he actually does play a guy who's pretty dumb and plays him convincingly. Um, and so uh, that's, that's really fun. Um, but obviously like the, the film is, is meta at times in ways that I think, the novelty of that wears off when you, when you have seen it a few times and, and I haven't seen the film in a long time. And, and as I was watching, it, it was like, that was maybe my least favorite part of it uh, is like when the, when Robert Downey Jr.'s character will like stop the film to like uh, comment on the narrate on the narration job he's doing. Um, but, uh, but as, as like an action movie and as, as a, as a buddy movie, unsurprisingly, like it's, it's quite good. Uh, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. Have a great deal of chemistry. Michelle Monaghan actually is, is really good in the movie and they give her more to do than you would expect from that type of character. So, uh, yeah, it's, I don't have much to say except that, uh, just, I do think that there is there's a mythologizing of Shane Black a little bit amongst uh, uh, people our age and movie people uh, our age. Um, and what I'll say is, uh, while I thought The Nice Guys was actually pretty good because I think it was actually pretty disciplined and reined in as far as the type of movie he was making and how committed he was to not hanging a lantern on too much stuff. You know, uh, the Predator is is pretty terrible, uh, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is is very very good. But you can de- you can definitely see like you know the the bag of tricks uh, that Shane Black employs in the film, and they still many of them still work. But it's not it it's not quite as novel or as fun as like when I first saw it. And maybe it's that I grew up a little bit um, as as a movie watcher. Um, I'm still again I still enjoy the movie and I still recommend the movie, but it's why I wanted to mention it as a rewatch is that I do think some of the sheen goes away. Mm. The more you watch a movie like this or more, the more movies like this are released. Um, so, right. uh, so yeah, that was all. Uh, well, um, <laughs> I was trying to make a transition. I couldn't do it about okay. types of movies being released. Here's a type of movie that is not released very often uh, anymore, which is the, the mid budget studio drama aimed at adults okay (laughs) um and yet tyler i'm going to tell you one of the best movies of the year so far and a movie that you in particular would love is let him go okay uh have you have you are you so checked out you don't even know what this one is Uh, i do not know what this one is i think i oh okay you you had mentioned it and i saw that you reviewed it but i didn't read the review and uh oh okay and i'd heard i'd heard good things about it yes it's it's it, uh, it's wonderful. It's based on on a novel. It's directed by a guy whose last name is Bazooka, which is great. Um, it's B E Z U C H A. How would you say it? Bazooka, that's right? It. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it stars right off the bat. It stars Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. So okay. you can't go wrong with the uh, with, with them, uh, if you ask me. Um, and uh they play uh, it takes place it's not clear it takes place i think in the late 50s early 60s the novel takes place in the early 50s it's one of those things it's like why did you change why did you change it by less than a decade what what are you like thomas bazooka you had something to say about this time and i don't know why (laughs) um but uh um they play a, a, a couple. He's a retired sheriff. They have a grown son who has a new uh, or has a wife uh, played by Kaylee Carter from Private Life. Uh, I don't know if you saw Private Life. I can't remember. Uh, I did um, not, actually. 
Okay. Um, and then they have a brand new baby. And then their son, Diane Lane and Kevin Costner's son, the grown man, uh, dies very suddenly in an accident. We jump forward a few years. Kaylee Carter's character, uh, Lorna, has remarried a guy who's not so good, who, uh, without warning, sort of takes uh, the Lorna and the baby back to North Dakota, back to live with his family who are also not so good. And so the movie is, uh, it's, it, it takes place in the 20th century, but it's very much a Western in a lot of ways. It has mm. them, you know, traveling through the, the plain States to go and like rescue, uh, this, this girl and baby, you know, they're, um, uh, they're trying to convince Lorna to come back, uh, with them, uh, Lorna's new husband's family, uh, played by a bunch of people, but, uh, you know, a bunch of, it's a large family, but the main two people you need to know are the uncle played by Jeffrey Donovan. And, oh, right. uh, more importantly, Donnie's mom played by Leslie Manville, uh, nice. who is, uh, I feel like I, I, I said a bunch of people like as if they're all faceless. One thing that Thomas Bazooka does really well in this movie is there's not that many speaking parts in the movie, but he clearly didn't phone in the casting of any one of them that everyone is a character and brings character to the movie. And I think that's really important. Um, but uh, the reason that I, that I point to you knowing you movies that, that specifically, uh, or themes that specifically speak to you is all of what they're going through the, the George and Margaret, um, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane is really about them still mourning their son, but sure. they're not talking about that. They're talking about their grandson or they're having a come. Oh, during there's a quiet for all this, this movie ends up getting, you know, turning more genre, getting more uh, thrillery as it goes on. Uh, but for all of that, the, the highlight of the movie is a quiet dinner scene where I'm going to get emotional. Just talking about it where Kevin Costner asks Diane Lane's character about some of her memories about her favorite horse that they had to put down years and years ago when their son was still a boy. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, Kevin Costner brings up this, this horse and Diane Lane tells this beautiful story that, you know, she's laughing and then she's crying and you're seeing Kevin Costner's character kind of being like, like, Oh, this is so sweet. And then being like, Oh wait, maybe I shouldn't have brought this up. This is heavy shit. It's, it's a beautifully complex scene played by two actors who have fantastic chemistry together who play off one another so well. Um, the whole movie is just, it's, it's gorgeous. I wish they made movies like this, uh, uh, all the time. Um, uh, yeah, make, uh, make mid-budget Hollywood fair great again. That's what I say. Uh, <laughs> um, Finally, uh, we have our BP hat. We've always been looking for one. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, re- really, really could not recommend Let, let Him Go uh, highly enough. I think in this, not that I want to spoil stuff, but we're getting near the end of the year and a lot of stuff that would have come out this year isn't coming out this year. So I feel like my top 10 for the year might be firmed up a little earlier than it usually is. Sure. Um, and I would say, let them go. I would not be surprised to find it in my top 10 movies of the year. Hmm. Um, all right. And then my other one for this, uh, before I throw back to you, um, is, um, adventures in babysitting. Um, right. And I'm drawing a blank on the oh Chris Columbus's Adventures in Babysitting. Um, this was another one where I was like, "How could you not see?" And I certainly know all, all my friends as 
kids really liked uh, this movie and knew there was a part where uh, a kid gets stabbed in the foot on the subway. I knew that happened because I remember my friends talking about it when I was a kid. Have you seen it? You've, oh yeah. We, we talked about this. Oh, yes. uh, you've seen adventures. Babysitting. Um, and I get why the movie, it's a fun adventure movie. I get it. Um, I have, a lot of problems with the way that the movie, uh, the movie's depictions of, of race that like it basically seems to be saying at multiple turns that the, for these suburban kids, the big city is a scary place because there are so many people of color there. That seems yeah. to be what it's saying. And at multiple, uh, in multiple set pieces that I, I found kind of, I found very, very troubling and hard to set aside, but it still has a lot of, great stuff in it too including some uh a, a weird uh small turn from vincent d'onofrio with long blonde hair that's yeah <laughs> that's strange but uh i always like what vincent d'onofrio is in is in movies um and uh there was something else i was going to say about the movie that i can't remember now um uh i have a thing i think i feel like i'm more afraid of heights in movies than in real life almost sure so there is a part where a girl is on the outside of a skyscraper way high up that i like whereas like my wife looks away from movies if someone is getting their like head caved in or something i'm right. glued to the screen for that stuff this i honestly we had to like kind of watch out of the corner of my eye even though i know they're not gonna kill this little girl right but it's like it, yeah, uh, my palms get sweaty at heights stuff in movies. There's a reason that I have never seen Man on Wire or The Walk. That's what it's yeah. called, right? The Zemeckis Man version was yeah, The yeah. Walk. Yeah. Um, all right, so I can't really uh, recommend Adventures of Babysitting. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is that the um, the actor, the young gang hoodlum who stabs the uh, uh, Anthony Rapp in in uh, no, it's not Anthony Rapp. It's uh, uh, oh, it's friend of the show uh, Keith Coogan. Yes. He gets stabbed in the foot. Not anything up. He's the obnoxious one. Um, is Clark Johnson. Um, which I did not really yeah. like. I think of him as being this like, you know, from like The Wire season five when he's like this gruff salt of the earth, but very smart, like, you know, studious type. Uh, yeah. And here he's like, well, he's much thinner here than he <laughs> was on The Wire. <laughs> uh, and he's like got the long curly hair and he's a, a hooligan. Uh, that made me laugh. Because I didn't, I was like, why don't I recognize, like, I know, I know who this is, but I couldn't place it. I had to look it up and be like, Oh, anyway. And, and I believe Elizabeth shoes boyfriend is a young Bradley Whitford. Is that correct? That's right. Um, yeah, yeah I loved it. I'm, I'm happy for Bradley Whitford that he got the West wing and got to play a character that people mostly root for because yeah he mostly just played shit bags for yeah. most of it like this and, and, and Billy Madison. Yeah. Um, and I guess in, uh, young guns too, he's more of like, a uh, uh, an egghead than a, sh- a shit, shit bird or whatever. Did you ever sure. see young guns too? I did not. Okay. He's only in the framing device. Um, Got it. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, I still wanted to, you know, I've, I always, I've said for years, we should do one of our commentary marathons where instead of finding four movies that are the same theme, we just watch young guns two four times in a row. I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to that idea. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think so much of it depends on, will we be able to get anybody to be on that? Um, <laughs> 
But uh, okay, so is it uh, you or me at this point? It's you, you have one more. Yeah, you have one more, and then I I thought I had two more, but I actually only have one more. So we'll we'll finish oh, this up. Uh, I have two more. I guess we did our math wrong. Okay. Uh, well then, do uh, yeah. no, no. That's right. That's right. You should have two more. Okay. So you'll okay. go. Then I'll go. Then you'll go. Yeah. Great. No, we okay. did the math right. Uh, all right. So I rewatched uh, Lone Scherfigs, uh, and I don't know if that's how you say it. I apologize. Uh, An education from two thousand nine. Yeah. I would say L- Lona. Maybe? Lona. Okay. Sure. Um, and uh, you've seen the film, right? Yeah. Not for over a decade. It's two thousand nine, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, man, it holds up. It's such, and it, and it's a film that I think, you know, given a lot of the conversations being had right now about, you know, uh, third wave feminism and that sort of thing, I think it's such a fascinating contribution to that because you have uh, a generational divide between the Carrie Mulligan character and, uh, Olivia Williams and Emma Thompson and, and all that. And what I like about it is that you have a lot of judgment on each side, you know, you have Carrie Mulligan looking at like these older women who only ever have done things a certain way and she judges them and, and says, you know, and is actually pretty vocal about it as well. And being kind of dismissive of their life choices because it seems as though they didn't make any specific choices outside of what possibly were made for them. And the points that she makes are all, they, they may be a little bit mean, but like in a broader sense, they're probably right. But then at the same time, you see, you, you also get the perspective of these older women and you realize like, well, they're not idiots, you know, and they're aware of, of what, of the, the life that they've lived and they're aware of the life that she could be living. And, and so like, we tend to be on her side, but we also recognize that like she's probably making some impulsive negative decisions as well. And so what I like about it is that it, it creates this conversation between these two generations and both of them have points. And really what it comes down to is the, the level of judgment and superiority that can come as each will, each is making their point. So I think that's so fascinating. I think it really is indicative of a film that, is is not willing to uh, come up with easy answers. I think it's much more willing to engage its characters as characters. Even the Peter Sarsgaard character, who it is revealed is is not a great guy by any stretch of the imagination. Even in retrospect, we we see that he's somebody who uh, it's. I won't say he necessarily means well, but he is just so impulsive as far as like his own emotions that he lets himself get into one situation after another. And undoubtedly he's sincere in the moment, but you, we also now come to realize that this is something he's done many, many times before. And so he's someone we view negatively, but I think the film still keeps us from fully condemning him. Uh, and same with like the, the, uh, Alvar Molina character who seems like such a, such a, in many ways kind of bumbling and very narrow minded, but the film even allows him some, some nice moments. It's, it's such a beautifully written, beautifully uh, acted film. And uh, I don't know if how many listeners have, have seen it, but uh, it's definitely, it's not really part of the conversation. It certainly was at the time, but I feel like people don't talk about it very much anymore. Yeah, it is. It was, it did seem like a big movie at the time. Um, yeah. And that doesn't, maybe because I'm not sure what London Scherfig has done since then. Uh, yeah. I, I looked, let's see. 
Yeah. I mean, it was like one day. I mean, nothing huge is the, is the, is the problem. There was one day, which I had heard good things about, uh, their finest, which I actually never saw and really wanted to. Oh Um, yeah. I did want to see that. And so the, I mean, she's been working, uh, consistently and putting stuff out, but I think this was definitely like the highest out of outside of, uh, like Italian for beginners. Like, um, this is like the highest profile thing that she's done. And then well, yeah, this is certainly higher profile than Italian for beginners. Um, I saw Italian for beginners. Anyway, um, I will say that my, uh, my, (laughs) my wife and I took, uh, engagement photos inspired by the poster for an education where they're laying on the ground with their heads on each other's shoulders from (laughs) opposite directions. Uh, yeah. So we have, we have that framed somewhere. Oh, that's nice. All right. Uh, so I have one more and then you have one more. Okay. Um, now, uh, another one, another new movie, Tyler, that I think you will like for very different, a very, a very different movie than let him go is Christopher Landon's freaky. Uh, sure. Yeah. See, it's this I've, one I've you've heard of because I have, and, and it does intrigue me. Certainly. Yeah. It's, um, it's a slasher movie. That's also a body swap comedy. And I think, uh, it manages to be both at the same time by not trying to be one of the scary slasher movies, but just being one of the gory creative kills type of slasher movies, mm-hmm. uh, which in themselves, in and of themselves are kind of comedies, kind of very dark comedies where part of the fun is seeing what, what crazy, uh, grisly way will the killer come, come up with next to dispatch somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, the, the premise is that, uh, uh, Vince Vaughn plays a Michael Myers, like killer type, uh, called the Blissfield butcher who gets his hand on a, uh, accidentally gets his hand on a cursed, a cursed dagger. He tries to kill, uh, a high school student played by Catherine Newton. And instead of killing her, this dagger switches their body or switches their spirits yeah. into each other's, uh, bodies. So then now you've got, uh, like, like I never saw the Jumanji movie with Jack Black, but I hear that he's good in it, but it's a similar thing where you've got big hulking. Like this isn't like, you know, skinny 1998 Vince Vaughn. This is big hulking 2020 Vince Vaughn playing a 16 year old girl. And then you've got Catherine Newton playing a stone cold psychopath who keeps like murdering people in, uh, in disgusting ways. It's, it's very fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's funny. It also, uh, it's, it's, it's very smart, I think. And, uh, it does a a great thing of, uh, having fun with pronouns without seeming like it's mocking the idea sure. of people being particular about the pronouns. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's very part of the fun comes from being very respectful of like, uh, you know, at one point they capture the, the, you know, some kids capture the, the killer in Catherine Newton's body and they've got him tied up and they keep saying him, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's other stuff I won't go into that. It would be more of a, uh, of a, of a spoiler. Um, but, uh, yeah, the movie is, uh, uh, a really grody comedy. The first kill that happens right at the beginning was, I went like, Oh, like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is the kind of movie we're in for. This is, uh, yeah. that's, that's gross. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also very smart and, and funny and, uh, uh, a pleasure to, to look at. I also think, I, I don't know. I remember had this, I remember having this conversation with, someone way back in high school about um whether a movie like when a movie is part of a genre do the 
it's hard to tell sometimes if the movie is just following the tropes of the genre or is intentionally paying homage to past movies. And I think this one is the latter. I think there are three things that I clocked and there's probably others that I didn't because I'm not, uh, as much of a horror aficionado. Um, but, uh, so the events take place exactly one year after the death of the protagonist's parent, which is scream. That's the exact thing that happens to scream. Um, there's, uh, the whole idea of the town, this town is known for its big homecoming dance. And because yeah. of the, because of the murders, the homecoming gets canceled. And so the teenagers take it upon themselves to throw their own homecoming at the old mill, which is essentially the exact storyline of my bloody Valentine, except that mm-hmm. was the mine instead of a mill. And it was a Valentine's dad instead of homecoming, but it's the exact same premise. Mm-hmm. And then also there's, this isn't really a horror movie, but a, a violent teenage dark comedy. Um, Heather's opens with, uh, the song K Sera Sera. And there's a very similar rendition of K Sera Sera that plays the first time that the butcher in Catherine Newton's body walks into high school for the first time. Okay. Uh, it, it does seem intentional. These, these sort of homages and they're, be intentional. Yeah. Yes. There are probably more, uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, very highly recommend, uh, freaky for a, right. a, a good time. That sounds that sounds really good. Uh, a movie I don't recommend, and of course I inevitably was going to get here is Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Okay. Um, and here I do want to mention the writing. Uh, in one, I mean the the movie in general is is a mess. Um, and one thing that it's just like, you know, it's it separates the the characters and keeps them like they're each doing sort of their own thing. And there will be moments where they're uh, of of sweeping and generic romance between Anakin and and Padme, and then we'll cut to Obi Wan like investigating something, and literally like we'll have a nice moment between them, and we cut to him, and it's right before somebody attacks him, and it's like well, what the hell is going on? Like how do you justify that much of a tonal shift? Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's it it does like th- more so really at all in than Phantom Men- Menace. Like this movie, actually, like there are moments that feel like actual Star Wars to me. Um, okay, and so uh, so that's kind of nice. But it takes a long time to get there, and then even within that, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but. Uh, when you watch it, you wonder, it's like, I don't know if George Lucas understands his own creation. Um, like to me, the, the prime example of what is, of how he's doing the, how he does these movies wrong is, uh, you know, there's the, the line that is said, uh, I have a bad feeling about this. Okay. And it's always said when the characters would seem to be uh, in a, in a safe place but they they feel like mm, I don't trust this. Okay. Well, there's a there's <sighs> there's a scene where our main characters in Attack of the Clones wind up in like a coliseum with people with aliens like chanting for their deaths, and they're all chained up. And then they open these doors, and these three giant bloodthirsty creatures come out. And it you you don't get it doesn't get more clear to anyone that. This is, they're going to die by these creatures. That's the whole point of this. Uh, all of these spectators are, are watching them potentially get eaten by these creatures. So the door is open, the creatures come out, and that's when Anakin says, I have a bad feeling about this. It's like, yeah, <laughs> of course you do. What are you talking about? 
Why would you declare such a thing at that moment? Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's the most un, like he uses the line in, in every film and there are so many other places that he could have used it in this movie where things aren't clear immediately, but there's a sense that something's wrong. This, it's not a sense of something's wrong. Every single aspect about it is wrong and dangerous and they're going to die. And, and it's like Anakin, oh, he's tuned into something here. It is astonishing to me that that line is, that, is in that place. And it speaks to, again, like George Lucas wrote this thing and he wrote the original line. And so, and he was probably instrumental in making sure that it showed up in every other movie. Uh, but his, his, cho- his choice to incorporate it into that moment, I think is, is a perfect embodiment of him as a writer and him just understanding, well, there are things I have to do because it's star Wars and having no idea what any of it means. Uh, and it's, it's, it's angering. It's angering to the point of being, hilarious that he chose to incorporate that line there well uh a bit of bp trivia in all of the years uh we've known each other and there have been star wars movies attack of the clones is the only star wars movie you and i saw together is that true yeah where did we see it do you you remember the theater yeah it was in evanston evanston okay all right whatever i can't remember the name of the theater but we took the train from the, okay. the red line up up from where we live in Chicago up into Evanston. And I, I was a bunch of your friends that I didn't really know, but I went along with you. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cause I do remember seeing, uh, you know what? Yeah. And now that you mentioned it, I, I can, I can picture it. Cause I remember seeing that with certain, with certain friends within that friend group. But then Jen, I think Jen mentioned that like she was there. I was like, oh, I didn't remember that she was there. Um, so, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, uh, stay tuned because here comes uh, Revenge of the Sith, followed by all these other things. But I'm just very interested to see like how everything. The reason I suggested is I'm interested to see the transition from one into another, especially with these like in between movies. So, uh, you know, so stay tuned. But uh, yeah. Oh, thanks for listening. Damn it. I forget that we just stopped talking. We just.